Doing good? Yes. Let's try that again. Good morning. Make sure you're all there. My name is Pastor Derek. I just want to uh, welcome you all to connect. If you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you are here. Welcome to our series entitled Crowd Control, kind of revelations of a crowd. I've been excited about this series, um, and uh, it was kind of uh, just a joy to be able to look back at what happened last week. It sounds like Mama Fry did a pretty good job last week, huh? I was pretty proud of... Uh, the first lady, she did a great job and uh, just enjoyed watching that. I think it was Thursday morning. I watched that from, uh, from Alabama. I was in uh, just outside of D.C. on the weekend speaking at a church on Saturday and Sunday. <clears throat> and then uh, the rest of the week I was with uh, my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, and then some, of my, some time with my family. But really enjoyed that. She did a great job just kind of kicking off this whole idea of a crowd. You can get your worship guides out and you can follow along. I'm going to get right into the message this morning and just really want to build your faith and strengthen you in your walk with God. Amen? Our theme text for this series is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We'll actually talk about certain characters from uh, the preceding chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. But in Hebrews 12, it says, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, I love that, to the life of faith. Amen? We have a, we have a, we have a crowd in the cloud of wit, not an iCloud, but we have a crowd in the cloud of witnesses that want to build your faith and to strengthen you in your walk with Christ. And so the Bible tells us to strip off every weight and anything that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And so today I want to talk to you about, as a follow-up to my wife's message, uh, how to influence a crowd, how to influence a crowd and not be influenced by a crowd. How many know we need to be influencers? Yes, we need to be influencers of the crowds in which you're in. But first, a little bit of history on crowds. Um, if I was to go back, and I'm, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here, but how many are familiar with the Boston Tea Party? The Boston Tea Party. Okay, so this was, uh, you know, a, a pretty uh, amazing point in our, in our history. In 1775, our founding fathers protested what was known as taxation without representation, and they took British tea that had come over uh, from the mainland to America, and they threw it into the harbor. Everybody say the harbor. We can do that up here, right? And it's legit. They threw it into the harbor uh, as a protestation without the taxation. The whole thing that was happening there was, I really think that the uh, Americans really were just trying to uh, stick it to uh, the Brits. And basically, one of the things that they were uh, you know, uh, doing was they had drank hot tea over there. And so from then on, we decided we drink cold tea kind of to stick it to them. So I, that's just a personal opinion I have. On what really was going? No, but but this particular event, this this uh, this throwing the tea into the harbor, was catalytic for what was known as the American Revolution. And shortly thereafter, there was a battle in Lexington and Concord, not far from here, in, in some cases in the Arlington area. Um, and, a, and a great battle ensued there between the British and the American revolutionaries. And there was actually a shot, the history records, that was heard around the world. So what happened in the Boston Harbor was catalytic for something that actually changed the world forever because they influenced a crowd. Is that amazing? Uh, another thing, uh, just some random things I threw out there about crowds. Some of you have ever, might be familiar with the movie 300, right? Anybody ever familiar with that movie? Don't tell me if you watched it. It's okay. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's referencing the Spartans. That's my Boston way of saying it, the Spartans. But um, the Spartans um, were, of course, under the rule of a uh, self-proclaimed god king named Xerxes, who had a throng of warriors who were just kind of devastating the world and taking over the world. And eventually they came up against this particular sect of Greeks known as the Spartans. And they faced them in a particular location. Um, and they formed as 300 warriors what is kind of this interconnected, um, impenetrable unit where they were able to withstand throngs and throngs of warriors coming up against them. And this, this particular formation was known as the phalanx. And we may talk about that in coming weeks. It was very powerful. This crowd was able to stand against a throng of, of people. Uh, another example, I think some maybe more current, would be 
what we see is maybe a, a crowd sometimes that starts good but goes bad. Anybody ever seen like or watched on television some of the riots in Baltimore? Um, you see some of the things that are going on there because of uh, the death of one individual. And I'm not going to get all political here, or, or, but uh, there was a protestation about what had happened or what was going to happen. This is happening all over the world. Riots all the time over certain events. And sometimes it starts off good and it can go bad. In our history, we also know about Martin Luther King Jr. There was a, a great march in 1963 where, where uh, African Americans and whites uh, marched on Washington. And uh, some of you may have seen the movie, Selma, an incredible movie uh, that kind of uh, talks about a lot of the things that happened, you know, getting civil rights uh, for, um, you know, our... our, our um, our African-American allies and friends to this day, but it wasn't that way. It was a hard time, and it gave insight into what was really going on in the prejudice in America. It was powerful. Um, another one that I was thinking about was, and some of you may have seen this picture if you're old enough to recall it, but you might remember this Chinese student that stood against uh, a series of tanks in Tiananmen Square, and uh, this was kind of a protestation to uh, what was happening um, in uh, kind of government controls in, in Beijing, and this one Chinese student, student stood against all these tanks. Now, if you were to go to China today and you were to ask them about this, uh, they would see that as just American propaganda, and they, they tout and teach that this never happened, but we know that it happened, and, and so one person can stand against a crowd and sometimes cause uh, tremendous uh, impact. And there have been protestations as well. There was a huge crowd. Uh, some of you might have seen this in the news uh, in the past, but on the streets of Kiev, Ukraine, where a crowd actually demanded the resignation of a president and uh, that he would resign in accordance with the will of the people just because of the power of a crowd. And then we see the power of social media. How many know that social media is incredibly, incredibly powerful today? With Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and followships and friends and liking and all these kind of things. And sometimes things are happening today where somebody's future is determined, whether it be from, you know, American Idol to whatever. You see that uh, social media and, the, and a crowd that is behind that can have great influence on trends and economies and, and things like that. And the bottom line is there is great power for good or for evil in a crowd, and it can be sometimes easily manipulated, sometimes influenced by good or evil as well. And I can remember one particular example biblically that all of you know, and there's so many, by the way, but there was a time, and we talked about this not too long ago, where Jesus was coming in to the holy city and, and on Palm Sunday, and they were putting down trees, on, and he's walking in on a, 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 uh, riding in on a donkey, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Everybody ever read that story or hear about that? And only, you know, a short time later, he was standing in, in, in front of Pilate, and there was a crowd uh, not cheering him, but jeering him and saying, you know, uh, crucify him and give us Barabbas. A crowd can change like that, can't it? And it needs to be influenced sometimes for good and not for evil. And there are many examples of the power of a crowd. You can look in your notes in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. It says this. This is just a, a powerful example of what, come, what happens when people come together as a crowd. It says this. It says, if as one people, the, speaking the same language. Everybody say the same language. That means you're on the same page. They begun to do this. What were they beginning to do? They were actually building a tower to the heavens. It was a whole, not a holy ambition, but a selfish ambition. It says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. When a crowd comes together and they unite with a common purpose and a, and a similar approach and a, and a, and a kind of a, a united vision, there's actually nothing that they cannot accomplish. And God uh, stopped this particular plan because it was, it was against the will of God. But it, what if it was for the will of God? What would happen if a people would come together as one and they did something that was, had a divine intentionality to it, if it had a divine agenda, a purpose that was supported the will of God? What could happen? Would anything be impossible for that people? The answer is no, nothing would be impossible for them. Can I have an amen out there? And that's the problem sometimes with, is it, with, with crowds and with groups of people is sometimes they don't have or follow the plan of God. They don't know the plan of God. And, and look in your notes in Exodus 23 verse 2. It says, do not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. 
Do not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. In other words, just because everybody's doing it, does that make it right? I'm going to get strong here in just a second. Look in Romans 12, too. It says this in your notes. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world or to the crowd, to culture, you know, to, to what we, legislation, to the laws of man, things like that. In fact, in, uh, it's not in your notes, but you can put a bonus scripture, Colossians 2.8. It says, we should not follow the philosophies or the traditions of men, but only things that are based on Jesus Christ and his word. And so we can't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what will happen? If you, if you are, you, your mind will be, will be unraveled. But if you conform to the pattern of God, your mind will be renewed. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. And it goes on to say his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some people want to, to find the perfect will of God. You have to come in line with the providential will of God. You have to come in line with the moral will of God to be able to find the perfect will of God. Can I have an Amen. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Because the world wants to mold you, and it wants you to conform to the mold of the world. But just because something is legal doesn't necessarily always make it right. I'll just pick one particular example, but and don't get upset with me. Don't throw any rocks. Just hear it all the way out. I'm, just, I'm the preacher. I'm just going to tell you what I see in the Bible and, and just put it out there with just current examples. But just because marijuana is being legalized doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's necessarily right. Okay, and you, we, I'm not getting into medicinal this and medicinal that, but I just want you to think about just because man says something's okay doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. We need to have a standard. We need to have a, a set of absolutes in our life, and I think God's trying to tell us that just because the world or the crowd says something, you know, doesn't mean necessarily we should follow that. You know, nobody's getting married today. I get that. Uh, but I would just say don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Marriage is a covenant between two people. So why, why do we say that, 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 you know, people say, you know, don't, don't get married anymore. It's just a piece of paper. Well, if it's just a piece of paper, then sign it. Huh? Huh? Hello. Just sign it. So what shapes your thinking? What shapes your thinking? Is it, is it culture? You know, is it crowds? Is it laws? Is it legislature? Or is, the, is it the authority of God's word? It's the authority of God's word. So in coming weeks, we'll talk about different subjects related to the crowd. We'll talk about the woman who pressed through the crowd who had an issue of blood. We'll talk about four men who, who dropped their brother through a roof above the crowd in order for them and him to be healed. We'll talk about a blind man who shouted above the crowd, you know, to, to, to get God's attention. We'll, of course, talk about the cloud of witnesses, not an eye cloud, but the cloud of witnesses, amen, who didn't live by what the crowd was saying here on earth, but they were supported by the witnesses of a heavenly hosts that was believing in them and, and wanting to build them up. Amen? So I want to just say out of the gate, this, this message is meant to build your faith. Sometimes we get, we get knocked down and, you know, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. And just because it didn't work the first time doesn't mean it can't work a second time or the seventh time. Because the seven isn't just when it's over, it's not eight, then it's over. No, it's seven's God's perfect number, which means it's eternal. You just keep on believing and you keep on, you keep on going for it. You keep on getting up even when you fall down. And if you fall down, you get back up again and you just never give up. Luke 18.1 says to pray, never give up, never give up. So this message is to build your faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready to build your faith. Okay? Now I want to unpack a story for you. For you, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, hands down, it's one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite characters, I don't talk about him a lot. He's kind of overshadowed by another character that we talk about a lot. But 1 Samuel chapter 13, look in your notes. At verse 1, we're going to talk about Jonathan. Everybody say Jonathan. <laughs> Saul will show up a lot here, but we'll talk about Jonathan. Now Saul, who was king at the time, was 30 years old. And he reigned, this is 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. I don't know if you have all the scriptures that I'll have this morning, so you'll just have to follow me kind of quick, and I believe the Holy Spirit will help you to do that. But he reigned over Israel for 42 years. And Saul chose, in this case, 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 with him at Michmash. Um, and Michmash, I was taking a bath. That's what I think about when I see that. All of us, all right. Anyway, but they were with him at Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. I was preaching at another church uh, just this last weekend, and, and I had five references to music in the middle of the message, and everybody was laughing. It was kind of funny. I was like, oh, my church is used to this. Sorry about that. And I just kept doing that all the time. But um, 
Anyway, a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistines' outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And their people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Now what's interesting here is it says Jonathan attacked the Philistines, but then it says Saul was the one, Saul took the credit for it. Did you notice that? Jonathan did the work, and Saul took the credit for it. It's going to be very interesting later on in the story. But Jonathan was the one who kicked butt. And so whenever, but the point I want you to see in these first four verses is whenever you go on the attack, whenever you go on the offensive, whenever you start to make a commitment to do what's right in God's eyes, to kind of step up and step out and and stop sitting back on your your hands and and on your gifts and on your talents and and on your resources and, and, and just kind of on your comfort and living in the comfort zone. Whenever you step out, the enemy will come all out against you. You need to know that. When you, when you, when you try to attack him one way, it's, it's like it's kind of a reverse. He'll try to come at you seven ways. In this particular text, it talks about three different uh, uh, avenues that the enemy was trying to come at you. You have to look at it. It's another time I can't preach on it, but he was surrounding them. And it's interesting how often this happens. And, and I just think, in this story, I, I, I think about this. I, I'm so glad we don't wrestle against flesh and blood anymore because they, they were doing battle in the flesh. We do more battle by the Spirit in a New Testament context, Okay. But it's still a battle, and it's still real. It's still very, very real. But we can learn something from the Old Testament and in the story that happened in the natural that applies to us, in the spirit that affects the natural, if that makes sense to you. But whenever you determine to take ground from the enemy, the enemy will always respond. And so the Philistines heard that Jonathan had attacked this particular outpost, and they, they, they were just ticked off. And so the Philistines got together in verse 5, and it says this, the Philistines assembled together to fight against Israel. Now, your Bible may say, and depending on which version you're using, New King James, King James, whatever, or maybe in your footnote, but it says there were 30,000 chariots that they assembled, 6,000 horsemen, and an infantry with uh, a number of people. It was insurmountable. As many, one translation, it says, as many people as the sands on the seashore. How many know that's a lot of people? <laughs> and, all, and all Saul and Jonathan had were 3,000. So it's 3,000 versus 30,000 chariots is enough. 6,000 horsemen would have been more than enough to just wipe them off the planet. And an infantry with too many people to even count. That's, the Philistines were ticked off. Is everybody tracking with me? So how do you know you're in the will of God? Sometimes you need to know you're in the will of God when you're incurring enemy fire. When you come up against circumstances that are opposing you. Sometimes I don't know if I'm doing God's will. Well, if everything's just going perfect all the time, you're probably not. You're probably not. You're probably not in the right place, in the right path. But if you are getting hit from different sides, you probably are doing what God wants you to do. It's a good sign. Just this morning, I was encouraging one of my brothers because he was under attack and he's dealing with something with his wife and all the time. And then now his kid's gone in the hospital with pneumonia four times in two months. I said, dude, you are right in the will of God. God wants to use him. It's just so evident to me and so obvious. But sometimes when we're attacked, we think that God's forgotten us or forsaken us. No, he's there. He's right alongside us. And we'll get to that in just a second. But when you decide to step up for God, giving, serving, growing, whatever it is, going through the growth track, using your gift for God, you're going to face obstacles and resistance on every side. Amen? And so what else this story tells me is that the enemy, he, he, what he tries to do right out of the gate, when you try to step out in faith, he wants to overwhelm you. He just wants to convince you, don't even bother. Whatever you're trying to do won't even make a diff, won't make a dent. Don't even begin. Don't even start. It's too late. You're outnumbered. Your bank account is too low. Your education's not enough. You're not experienced. You don't have enough support. You can't. You're too old. Your time has passed. You're too young. You're too far behind. Too little, too late. Sorry is your favorite board game. (laughs) How do these men respond, these men of God in the army of God, how do they respond to this resistance? 
Look at, you'll see this in a second. It says, first off, out of the gate, it says, they blew the trumpet. Look what we did. Woo! Jonathan! Yeah! And they're partying, and they're having a big time, and it's all great. And then all of a sudden, there's just this throng of warriors, Philistine warriors, like, just coming after them. And they run for the hills. They're like, woo! Ah! And the Bible says that they ran and they hid and they went into caves and they, with beady eyes, all these warriors in the back, all you see is black and beady eyes and they went into trees and they hid in trees. There's so many people in trees. Let me get out there. No, this tree's too busy. It's got too many people. Get out. Trees bending over, trees bending over with people in them. And then the Bible says went down into the lower parts into the cisterns and that's actually translated bathrooms. They were in caves and trees and toilets. The army of God. Is everybody tracking with me? You would think as representatives of the Most High God, they would like, bow up, let's go. Bring it on. We represent the army of God, the army of the Lord. The Lord of hosts is with, is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Look at this, verse 6 and 7. It says, when the Israelites saw their situation was critical, it says their army was hard-pressed, they hid Caves and thickets and among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. Jonathan, you're the man. You're the man. You did it. Who is behind you? And like, you know, they weren't worshiping. They should have. Normally an army, God would worship there. And they would celebrate. And a lot of times we see that in scripture, you know. We, but they're like, we are running. Running from our enemy, you know what I mean? Like, they just wanted to get away as quick as possible. The army of God just hid. Why do I tell you that? Because how does that apply to us? Because that's what the church does a lot. The church hides. When the going gets tough, we sometimes get it going the wrong way, in the wrong direction, in the wrong place. The church is like this a lot of times. Sometimes we say, amen, pastor. I would agree with you. I got your back. I'm in it to win it. Yeah. And then things don't quite work out right away. Things don't go so good right away. We come up with a little bit of resistance. Sometimes we get overwhelmed in our personal lives. Sometimes we come up against resistance, you know, corporately. And, and as a result, what happens? We hit caves, trees. So you say, yeah, I, you know, and you know what people say, Christians say sometimes, they, they go into, they, they, they say, people just want to say, I was there, but they weren't there. This is what some Christians do. I was there. I, 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 and so that if it works out, they can say, I was there. But if it doesn't work out, they say, well, you know, I, I, I was there, but I was a spiritual lookout in the tree, just making sure everything's okay up here in the tree. That's my spiritual gift, spiritual lookout. I was checking things out in the cave, making sure everything's clean in there. Resistance came. They bolted, and that's what many Christians do. And some of us, we just, we're not on the right side. In verse 7, it says, And some of the Hebrews, some, everybody say some, crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. That's the Philistine camp. In other words, some people, when they face resistance and they come up against the enemy, they cross over to the other side. They just say, you know, if you can't beat them, Join them. I give up. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to live. And look, it goes on. It goes on. It says, for the rest of this, it says in verse 8, Saul remained, and the troops that followed Saul were quaking in fear. So there were some that hid in caves, some hid in trees, some hid in the toilets, some went over to the other side, completely abandoned the team, and the ones, the few that remained, were scared to death to be with their leader. And that's how you see a lot of the church here today, too. In, I'm talking about the church at large, not necessarily connect. This totally doesn't apply to us. <laughs> but you see a lot of people, they're following a leader, trembling in fear and not living in faith. And we need to live in faith and not live in fear. We need to stand up. We need to step out. Skip down to verse 19. Look at this. It says, it says, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. Now, I can't, I'm paraphrasing a bunch of stuff or shortening a bunch of stuff in this particular story, but a blacksmith was responsible for the building of weapons. Everybody say weapons. 
And the Philistines saw to it in advance that no weapons could be formed. No weapons could be established for the people of God. They gave Israel the ability to fight these blacksmiths. What does that mean? It means basically that the enemy wants to take your weapon. He wants to take the fight out of you, and he wants to take the weapon out of your fight. I'll say that again so maybe some of you guys get it. Maybe say amen at the end of it. He wants to take the fight out of you, and he wants to take the weapon out of your fight. Sometimes we don't see that. And there's just, sometimes in the church, and I'm calling for five-fold ministry, but what I'm saying right now, and this will sound to some people foreign, to other people it makes sense, but this is somewhat prophetic what I'm saying. I am, where are the blacksmiths? Where are the equippers? Where are those small group leaders that see their assignment as greater than just assembling a few people together and having a gathering? But how, who are the people that are going to help equip and train and make sure people know what their weapon is and show them how to use it? Where are the blacksmiths? We need blacksmiths in the church today. Can I have an amen? amen? He wants you to be able to fight. Psalm 144, 11 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So how did God's people respond to, respond to the story? Here's four fill-in-the-blanks real quick. They hid. They hid. Some even two, some even joined the enemy. Three, some followed, but they were trembling in fear. And here's the fourth thing I'll spend some time on in a minute. Nearly all dropped their weapons. You know, and what's going on here, and this is how it applies to us, is the enemy wants the church just to be quiet, to just exist, to just, just have permission to exist. And the devil wants us to be a nice little church with a steeple on the corner and just be quiet and don't get powerful and don't get influential and sure as heck don't get a big crowd with a voice. And the enemy just wants to keep us shut down. How many say that's not okay for you? How many say that's not okay for me? Anybody say that's not okay for me? There's a thing in New England that has settled and just accepts. See, God wants you to be influential. And it starts with individuals, and then it goes to crowds that influence. There are people in other parts of the world that pastor churches where the government calls them first to see what their position is going to be on certain things that are going to affect culture and affect people. We're far from that. We're far from that. We've we, we got to get to the place where we even affect our town. Do you understand the assignment that's supposed to be on the church? We're supposed to be much more influential for good, for good. Not control, but for protection. Not for restriction, but for protection. Not for evil, but for good. For things that are not just temporal, but eternal. Can I have an amen? But religion wants to silence the church. It wants us to just be quiet. Jesus said himself, if, they don't, if men don't praise me, then I'll, even the rocks will cry out. So listen, the Bible is the greatest weapon we have on the earth. And so blacksmiths need to help equip people to be able to use their sword. This is the sword of the spirit. This is your greatest weapon against what's happening in culture and society today. Can I have an amen out there? So it's important that we get strong. Come on, somebody. So the world wants to take the Bible out of the church, but we need some blacksmiths. Verse 22 says, Only Saul and Jonathan in the day of battle had a sword or spear in their hand. So there were... There were 3,000 initially men of Israel. But what you need to know is none of them had a sword. None of them had a sword. Now, I had this sword given to me one time at a men's uh, event that I spoke at. This is an actual gladiator sword. It's pretty cool. This is the real deal, a two-edged thing. So I, you don't want to get too close to me right now. And, uh, um, but not, no, no soldier had their sword, none, except David and Jonathan. That's it. So out of 3,000, they were completely helpless and harmless because they didn't have their weapon. Many Christians are like that. Many people in the church are like that. And, and it's sad. It's very, very sad. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, his armor bearer. He said this to his armor bearer. He said, Hey, come. Let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. That's interesting. Want to guess why maybe he didn't tell his dad? Because maybe, remember earlier how Saul took credit for what happened when Jonathan attacked the Philistines? Well, it didn't go so well, did it? Because a throng of, of Philistines responded, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and an infantry too numerous to even count. And so now... Saul doesn't want to take credit for that. So now he says, you know what, guys? You know what, guys? 
that wasn't me. That was Jonathan. My immature son went out and attacked them. And so maybe, I'm speculating, and I, I know that, and I'm giving, you that, I'm giving you that opportunity, but maybe that's why Jonathan didn't say anything to Dad at this particular occasion, because maybe Dad was blaming him, likely he was, and so that may be why Jonathan didn't say anything. But in all this, even that's all happening, Jonathan is still undeterred, still an incredible man of faith. In the middle of that, he decides to go another step, not just have a thousand men to attack the Philistines, now he's going to attack the Philistines all by himself. He's going to pick a fight. He's going to pick a fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about ready to pick a fight. <laughs> Turn to your second choice. Say, it could be you. <clears throat> At this time, Saul is on the outskirts of Gibeah. He's got 600 men. He's sleeping under a tree and just kind of chilling and chillaxing and completely unaware of his son's plans. And get this, of the 3,000 originally picked, there are only 600 with Saul, 2,400 left hidden caves, hidden trees, and we're at the toilets. And some went over to the other side to be with the Philistines. Is everybody tracking? 600 left, and the 600 are with Saul, <clears throat> and it's just Jonathan and his armor bearer. Ever felt like the numbers don't add up in your bank account before? This is one of those situations where the numbers just don't add up. Ever felt overwhelmed? Ever thought maybe that you, you won't make a difference? You can't do anything with your little efforts, your talent, your individual you know, um, involvement. What could I do? You know how many times I've heard that from Christians? You know how many times I've heard my own rhetoric about that kind of thing? Let this be a lesson to you and me, that one person can make a difference. That it doesn't take an army of thousands to be able to make a difference. That makes an incredible difference when we come together as one, as I said at the outset. But let it be known that, that you can make a difference. But the people here in this particular story had responded by hiding, joining the enemy, trembling in fear. And lastly, they had no weapons. And God all throughout the Bible is trying to teach us lessons. He was trying to teach Gideon not to trust in a crowd. Gideon understood the value and, and the influence of a crowd. At one time, he had 32,000 uh, soldiers following, and God said, no, I don't want you to have them. I don't want you to put your trust in that. I want you to cut that down to a much stronger crew, and he cut it down to 20. God said, no, Gideon, no, we're going to have to cut that down. He said, okay, fine, I'll, I will. He cut it down to 10. Is 10 enough? No. He said, I want you to cut that down. Eventually, he got down to 300, like the first biblical Spartans, 300. And God says, you know, to, 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 to Gideon, now, now you're ready. Ready for what? A slaughter? That's kind of was where Gideon was at. But God was trying to teach Gideon, don't put your trust in numbers. You're, you need to learn to put your trust in me and not circumstances in what you see. <clears throat> Are you tracking with me? It's the same thing with David and Goliath when you look at that story. You know, Goliath is, is a crowd all by himself. He is one big brother. You know, and so David, what God was trying to teach David, don't go by what you see. Don't go by the circumstances. Don't go by, you know, and he's throwing, whew, whew, he's just got this little stone. And David's attitude, what needs to be the attitude that we have. He's so big, I can't miss. <laughs> but we have to flip it. Are you understanding? That's what faith does. Faith flips it. It's good. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm having a good time up here. You need to understand, this is your big idea, that you and God are the majority. You and God are the majority. So how do I influence the crowd? Number one, how do I influence the crowd? Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, it's not in your notes, but it says this, pray that God would un put an ointment on your eyes so you would be able to see. In 2 Kings verse 6, verse 17, there's a story where Elisha is with his servant, and his servant is looking outside his house, and he sees an army that is surrounding him. And Elisha's basically totally no panic, no fear. He's completely calm. You know, some of you know the story, but I'll speed ahead. But basically, he says, go look again. And he says, I pray, he tells his servants, I pray that the Lord would open your eyes to be able to see. To be able to see what? What you cannot see with your temporal, with your natural eyes is that there's an army behind an army that is greater than whatever you're facing, that you and God in a majority. And then when, when you look like you're by yourself in the natural, you need to know that by faith, God is with you supernaturally, and it far outweighs and outnumbers any enemy that you would come up against on your own. 
Prior to this prayer, this particular servant was ruled by what he saw. But after he could see that God, the heavenly hosts, the angels above, the armies of the Lord were with him. And so your first point is pray that the Lord open your eyes. I pray in Jesus' name that God open your eyes to be able to see as a church and as an individual what he can do through you. You and God are a majority. Say that with me. Say, me and God, God. we're the majority. God, help us to see. Help us to see you. Pull the veil off our eyes. Take the roof off of our faith in Jesus' name. The lids, come on, close your eyes and just pray with me, all right? I pray that we see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we saw in the Old Testament would be alive for us today. That the God who did miracles would do the same kind of miracles today. The word says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. We sing all the time about the great I am, and I pray that we believe believe that the great I am still works in our life today, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. When the enemy comes at me one way, I'll send him fleeing seven ways. Can, can somebody fall in agreement with what God says today? Amen. Lord, open our eyes. Okay. Number two, understand this. You won't know until you have a go. You won't know until you have a go. Let me explain. First Samuel 14, six says this. Jonathan said, let's go. I was, a lot of times when I'm doing Instagram, I hashtag, let's go. Let's go. Sometimes we have to, you, you won't know certain things until you have a go. He says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said this to his armor bearer. And then he says, perhaps, your Bible might say, maybe. Listen, this is one of my favorite things in this particular story of all. He says, perhaps or maybe the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether it's by many warriors or only a few. I absolutely love this verse. He says to his armor bearer, let's go. The armor bearer says, come on, let's go. I'm with you, boss, whatever you want to do. And Jonathan says, perhaps, maybe the Lord will be with us. How many of you, don't answer this out loud, would follow a perhaps or a maybe? What if I said to you, perhaps we're going to launch a campus in Framingham Natick. Maybe we're going to do it over here in Milford. Maybe we're going to open this over here. Maybe we're going to build this. How many would write a check for a perhaps? Not many. Not many on a Maybe. A lot of things we do as Christians require that we have a go in order for us to know. It might just be something in your heart, something you just need to go for it. It might just be something, just, it's just in your heart. Say, did you pray about that? Did you fast about that? Did you let that sink in for a million days? Sometimes we need to just get off our blessed assurance and do something. Have a go. You won't know until you have a go. Turn to your neighbor and say, you won't know until you have a go. I remember that two-thirds of God's name is go. <laughs> You'll never know until you have a go. I was, one time I remember I went with one of, the, one of my staff for many years ago. His name's Jason. And we heard about somebody that was dying and he was in a coma. And we were rushing to the hospital to pray for this particular person for a miracle, praying for a miracle. Say, what were you, gonna, what were you, what were you believing for? I was believing for a miracle. Believing the guy would wake up. He was in a coma. We get there, and he died before we got there. I, I had a choice. I had a choice. I said, can I go in and still pray for him? What, what do you want to pray for him for? He's gone. I said, I want to pray that he comes back. You might, I might be freaking some people out right now, but that's okay. And, and so I went in there, and I prayed for this guy. And I just believed in faith, and Jason was scared to death. He's standing there beside me. I probably shouldn't have had him in there because he wasn't in faith. Who knows? I'm just kidding, Jason. But I was training him. I was training him up. I said, you're my Elisha. Let's go. Come on. Let's, you won't know until you have a go. So come on in. And so we prayed for this guy, and, and I cleared the room, and there was, a, there was a guy in the other room who was alive. <laughs> that was another story altogether. <clears throat> I remember taking this guy by his shirt and just praying that the breath of God would come back to him. Did he come back? No. But what if he did? You won't know till you have a go. What if he did? What if one day that happened? And some people say, oh, I want to see more healings and I want to see more miracles. Listen, well, maybe you need to pray for some people. 
When's the last time you prayed for somebody? I'm believing for more healing. I believe I have a healing, you know, anointing calling on my life. I haven't prayed for a buddy in six months. There's your problem. You won't know until you have a go. I'm believing for more people to come to Christ. I'm believing for more people to be discipled. When's the last time you talked to somebody? When's the last time you shared your faith? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you posted something about your faith and not been ashamed of it? You won't know till you have a go. Some people say, oh, I want to believe God. My finances are a mess, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my finances. You know, well, maybe you need to follow God's principles and reorder your life to reflect what you say you believe, but it's not showing up. You won't know until you go for it. Have you ordered your finances? Have you begun to tithe? He's really worked up. He needs to not go away so often. <laughs> Woo! I don't know. Maybe preaching somebody else's church did something. I don't know what it is. And sometimes you're afraid of making a mistake. People are so afraid of making mistakes. Oh, and what, if I, what, if, what if he doesn't wake up? He doesn't wake up. He's already dead. <laughs> what if it doesn't work? It's not working for you now. Is it working? No. You're only two decisions away from a right one. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Jesus is Lord. So what does the armor bearer do? Look at the armor bearer in the story. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7, it says, Do what you think best. Oh, I love this. I love this armor bearer. Where are the armor bearers? I'm calling for blacksmiths, but I'm calling for armor bearers. The armor bearer replied, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Not, dear mom, my pastor has lost his mind. He's crazy. He's telling us this, and he's telling us that. He's completely, no, I am with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, God. I'm with you, vision of your church. I'm with you, leader. I'm with you, friend. I'm with you, heart and soul. Whatever your heart decides, I'm behind you. Where are those people? Where are they? What's happened? Instead, the guy says, do whatever you think's best. Look in verse 8. It says, Jonathan said, come on. Woo, I like you, buddy. Come on. Then they cross over to them, toward them, and, 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 and let, let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because they will, that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, here's what's going on here. You need to know that the only people who have a sword are Jonathan and Saul. And Saul is nowhere on the premises, Okay. Only the armor bearer. So the armor bearer doesn't have a sword. Only Jonathan does. And so, Dev, you can come up here. So just stand right here, son. You're going to be my armor bearer, son. Now don't get dangerous with this, okay? So you just hold. So this is my armor bearer. So, so Jonathan gives his sword to, uh, to his armor bearer. Armor bearer basically says, I'm with your heart and soul. And so Jonathan puts a test out to, uh, to, to his armor bearer and says, listen, here's the deal. This is what's in my heart. Have I really heard a bunch from God? No, not necessarily. Perhaps, maybe he's with us, all right? And then he says, if we, we're going to go to the Philistines and we're going to, Bible says, we're going to show ourselves. This is what I think. I think they went up to Philistines and they mooned the Philistines. That's just my interpretation. You don't have to like that interpretation. But it says they showed themselves. Could have been worse. So I just chose that. So, and then if the, if the Philistines say, We're, you come to us or we come to you, it's going to determine what we do. So if it says you come to us, that's a sign. God's for us and we're going to be able to win. He just picked that out of air. Okay, so then the Philistines, they go, they show themselves, look, look, they say, look, look, and they say, hey, look, look at those Philistines, I mean, look at those Israelites, they've come out of the caves, they come out of holes in the cracks, look at them, what's going on over there, get over here, get over here, we're going to show you a thing, that's what it says in the King James, it's a funny word, I don't know what it means, you can fill in the blanks, we're going to show you a thing, it says it, it's in your Bible, it's an awesome book. We're going to show you a thing. So then they go, they say, that's it. That's our sign. So they start crawling and climbing, and then they get out. And this is what happens. They get out, and it's, this is so cool. In fact, well, let's have a couple guys stand up. Pam, will you stand up? Uh, uh, will you stand up too, Brian? Stand up, Eric. John, oh, perfect. Oh, stand up, Eric. This is great. Christoph, stand up. So, so here's what's happening. Jonathan is, remember, there's 30,000 Chariots, right, excuse me, chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and an infantry, too many to be numbered, right? And they're looking at this one guy. He's by himself. 
This is all he does. He gives his sword to his armor bearer. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the crowd here, and I won't hurt anybody, so don't get worried, Pam. All right? Jonathan's, John, John's like, whatever, bring it. Uh, so when I bump you, you just kind of fall down, okay? So kind of like fall down on the ground, okay? So he's like, hey, you ready? You ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Charge! And he kind of comes through. Boom! Boom! He knocks him down. You guys fall down. Fall down. Boom! Bam! Heisman, bam! Fall down. Fall down on the ground. Fall down on the ground, okay? You too, buddy. You too, buddy. All right. So now, what happens? You're not on the ground. Get on the ground. You're not, you're not, you're not doing this illustration right. What is the matter with you? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, armor bear. Armor bear. Listen, 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 listen. Listen. So he goes, stay, stay. Don't move. Obey your pastor. Stay there. This is what's happening, okay? So he charges through no weapon. Now, have you ever seen those trash guys on the highway with the little poker stick thing getting the trash? So the armor bearer, he just goes through. Stick them. Now, you stick them, Dev, until they're dead. Stick them until they're dead. Ugh, they're dead. Just one by one. Kills them all. Just kills them all. Get this one good. He was really disobedient. Get this one really good. Get this one. He thinks he's got, he thinks he's got me. He thinks he's stronger than me. Get this one right there. Yeah, yeah, this one one time. Really good. So he sticks them all. And this is what happens. All right, you can get up. Good job. <laughs> so he sticks them all. Thank you. What an awesome armor bearer. With me, heart and soul. You were great. <clears throat> he sticks every single one of them, one by one. 20 guys, half an acre, are left in the wake. Now what happens is all of a sudden there's this noise and something begins to happen in the crowd of the Philistines. It's kind of indescribable. It's kind of unbelievable. And they start getting confused and crazy. They start attacking each other. They all start picking up their swords and attacking each other. Then the Israelites who are in the trees and in the caves and in the toilets and, and on, even on the other side, they start, hey, what's going on? What happened? It's Jonathan. What's Jonathan doing? He charged the Philistines. With who? By himself. What do you mean? What's happening? He's winning. Let's go. And they all come out of the caves. They come out of the trees. They come out of the toilets. They come from everywhere and they all come and they all go and attack the Philistines. And the Bible says there's an incredible, incredible victory because of one man who would act on a perhaps are you guys getting what I'm saying? One person takes action on a maybe, something amazing happened. How many people are sitting back today, hiding in caves, living in trees, just, I've gone to the bathroom, missing the message altogether, and they don't get out, and they don't do something. What would happen if one person would act on maybe a perhaps, or a maybe, and do something great for God? Can I have an amen out there? Would you stand on your feet? Let me pray for you. As the band comes, I want to say, read this over you. It says, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 20 through 23. It says, then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle, and they found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the other side, the Philistines' army revolted and joined in with Saul. Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites, likewise the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim, joined the chase. And when they saw the Philistines running away, so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth Haven. Listen, it took one man who said, I don't know if God is in it. I don't, it's, I, I'm not positive. I'm not sure. Maybe he is. Just took one person to do that. It took one person to just kind of say this. I'm tired of being sick and tired. Is anybody tired of being sick and tired? I don't know. Just one person to kind of act. Stop waiting for somebody else to walk out on the plank and dive off the diving board for the first time. You'd be one of those first-time people who takes the dive, who takes the plunge. It took another man to decide to follow. Maybe you need to be that person who will get behind somebody else who's following God, who's doing something for God. And you say, I'm with you. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't see it. I don't see what you see, but I'm with you, heart and soul. Maybe you need to be one of those persons. But today my challenge is that some of you some of you are not just being entertained. Some of you are being inspired, motivated to get out of the crowd. 
come out of retirement, come out of sitting on the bench, come, come out of just being offline, come out of just doing time, instead redeeming time. Would you just close your eyes? I want to pray for you. If you're here today and maybe, you know, you're, <laughs> you're a little freaked out, but your faith has been, uh, your faith has been infused and you know God is saying something to you personally, quickening you. I pray God quicken you. Quicken your mortal body. Quicken your spirit, man, to believe that you can do something great for God. If that's you and you know God's speaking to you, you know God wants to do something great in your life, would you raise your hand and say, that's me? Come on. You know God wants to do something great through your life. This is not one of those times to be timid and kind of like half mass, you know, about this whole thing. Yes, yes, I pray in Jesus' name for every single person that's in this room that they not forsake, not only, they not forsake the vision that God has given them, that it be quickened, that it come alive, that they, they hold fast to that. Lord, that they also not wait for perfect circumstances, the, the stars to align themselves and the sun and the moon all to be perfectly aligned and, and for the weather just to be all lined up and everything to be perfect. But Lord, that they have something in their heart that God has put there and they just say, yes, I'm gonna, let's go. We won't know until we go. We won't know until we go. And there's somebody in here that's saying yes to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna act on a maybe. I'm gonna act on a perhaps. I'm gonna do something great for God and I don't need everybody else to be with me. But at the same time, God will bring your armor bearers. God will bring those people into your life that are there for you, heart and soul. They're there for you to support you and uphold you and build you up and come behind you and poke and stick the enemy that's trying to take you out that would come behind you to try to steal the vision and plan a God for your life. God, you have put vision in people. You have put armor bears around those people. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're listening online and you know that God is speaking to you and he's calling you to himself, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, that's me. I need to know Christ and I don't want to go without that. I'm not sure that I have that. God bless you. God bless you. Raise a good high so I can see that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. God bless you. I want you to say this. Say this with me. Everybody pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you have ignited my faith. I thank you that faith, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I've received the word. I've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has the power to make me new, to make me a different person in Christ Jesus. I ask you to save me not by works, but for great works. The Bible says that those that know their God will do great and mighty things. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise all over the house for that. Yeah.